For the preaching of God's word, you guys can open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We are going to be in chapter 2, starting in verse 6. It says this, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would, have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Friends, that is the holy word of God, authoritative and sufficient for all things. Would you pray with me? Father, we need your help to to understand, to believe, and to apply your word. Would you give us your spirit this morning? Would you help us to see you and know you and love you more? Would you help us to live lives in submission to King Jesus? We ask all this in his name by the power of spirit. Amen. Well, church, as we've been working our way through the beginning of this letter, Paul has been making one thing incredibly clear. That is that there is nothing more important than the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. We've already seen that the cross is the basis for us to be thankful and grateful for other believers, even if they're a little bit of a hot mess. We've seen that the cross is the foundation of unity that Christians experience no matter where we come from, what our backgrounds are, or even what preferences we have. We've been called to boast only in the Lord and what he has done for us on the cross. Last week we heard about the need and benefit of keeping the cross the most important thing in our lives. We've also been reminded in chapter 1 that the message of the cross The reality of a Messiah that was crucified is nonsense to the world. But that message, the gospel, that Jesus died for you and me on a cross paying the price for all our sins and then rose from the dead conquering sin and death and giving us the hope of eternal life with him, that gospel gives us life. To the world, it doesn't make sense. But to followers of Jesus, it is the best news that you will ever hear. If you know the names Trip Lee or Andy Minio or KB, 
Well done. If you don't, go check them out today. Tripp's got a song called 116, and there's some lines in there that go like this. What love is this? To send his own. To die for sin and take me home. Got me feeling good, but forget my feelings. When you heard a story about the hero dying for the villain. I love those lines. They remind me that the plot line of the gospel, God's story for redemption, doesn't make sense to the world. The hero doesn't normally die for the villain. But the story does make sense to us. Several times in this letter already, Paul has referenced Christ and his cross as being the power and wisdom of God. We've seen that five times so far. We saw it in chapter 1 in verse 17, 18, 24, 30, and verse 5 of chapter 2. Church, this idea runs throughout the whole Bible. The cross of Christ is the power and wisdom of God for salvation. It is the only way for us to be redeemed from our sin, from our death, and from our eternal punishment. But if the gospel is foolishness or folly or nonsense to the world, why does it make sense to us? How does it make sense to us? How is it possible for us to understand something that the world does not? That's what we're getting into today. In our passage this morning, the main idea that we see is this. Understanding the wisdom of God requires the Spirit of God. Understanding the wisdom of God requires the Spirit of God. We're going to look at this in three points today. Number one, the wisdom of God. Number two, the Spirit of God. Number three, the people of God. First up, we have the wisdom of God. We see this in verses six to nine. Last week, we saw that Paul was explaining the simplicity and the centrality of the cross in the gospel message that he preached to the Corinthians, that he preaches to everyone. He said that he was committed to knowing nothing, underlined, highlighted, circled, nothing more than the cross. He knows lots of things. Paul speaks to lots of things. He is engaged over lots of things, but none of them more than the cross. He said that he didn't come preaching with big words or worldly wisdom and that he came in weakness and fear and trembling, demonstrating the power of the Spirit. But when we jump into our text this morning, we see him begin to draw attention to what he is preaching. Don't be fooled by my appearance or my simple words, he says. There is wisdom and power in what I'm preaching. There is wisdom and power in the message of the cross There is wisdom and power that will blow your mind. There is wisdom and power that surpasses anything the world can offer. But the world didn't and doesn't understand. The wisdom and the power of the cross of Christ is secret and hidden, Paul says. God has decreed it from before the foundation of the world. None of the rulers of the world understood it. He says here in verse 8 that if the world and its rulers truly understood who Jesus was, instead of murdering him, they would have bowed down to worship him. But why doesn't the world get it? Why can't they understand? 
Check out verse 7 with me. But we impart a wisdom, a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Church, there's an important category for us to see and spend some time with here this morning. That is our natural inability to see and discern spiritual things. We have been blinded by our sin. We are, like Paul teaches us in Ephesians 2, dead in our trespasses. This theological concept is called total depravity. It explains that we in ourselves are completely, wholly, totally sinful and depraved. Every chance or opportunity for sin, we will run towards it. Now, total depravity does not teach that you and I are, are as bad or sinful or evil as we could be. But even the good things we might say or do are stained by our sin. And the reality is that if we are dead in our sins, there's nothing we can do about it. Dead people can't do anything. They're dead. But God, Ephesians 2 says, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You know, in other places, like in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, Colossians, Ephesians, just to name a few, Paul refers to this wisdom of God, the power of the cross and making us alive together with Christ as a mystery. You guys ever play the game Clue? You know how you got that long sheet of paper, you're moving around the board trying to cross things off your list and solve the case? Maybe when you hear mystery, you think of Sherlock Holmes or Poirot or Benoit Blanc, the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, you know, world-famous sleuths. You know how it goes. There's some mystery to solve, and these absolutely brilliant people are called in to analyze the scene and the clues, look for things that nobody else can see or find or deduce. There's usually tons of twists and turns in the story, but they always manage to figure it out. They solve the case, they save the day. Friends, that is not the type of secret, hidden mystery that Paul's talking about here. No, the mystery of the cross cannot be solved by sheer brilliance. The clues are present, but there's no amount of deduction that will make them make sense. No amount of sleuthing can find what we're missing. It is not possible for our human minds to crack this case on our own. The wisdom and power of the cross is secret and hidden. Even though the actual event unfolds in front of our eyes. You saw it in verse 8, the rulers of the world killed Jesus because they didn't understand who he was. Now maybe you're here this morning and you are aware that you're not a Christian. Maybe you know there's something wrong and you don't know what's missing. Maybe you feel like there's something you need, but you can't figure it out. Friend, you need Jesus. It is only his power, his life and death and resurrection that will fix you, that will answer your questions, that will make sense of the world to you. But here's the thing. You can't figure it out by yourself. 
You can't make sense of the plot line without help. You can't piece together the puzzle on your own. You cannot do this by yourself. You need the Spirit of God to reveal the wisdom and power of the cross to you. I'd encourage you to take some time to pray today. Ask God to give you His Spirit and help you to believe in Jesus. Come talk to me after we're done. I'd be so glad to pray with you, to pray for you, that God would help you to believe in Jesus. I want you to be able to read verses 9 and 10 and celebrate and praise the Lord for all he's done with us. Look at these verses with me. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. There's so much encouragement there. Friends, we truly can't fathom all the wisdom and power of the cross by ourselves. No natural eye can see this hidden wisdom. No natural ear can hear this secret. No natural heart can imagine this mystery. Why? Because understanding the wisdom of God requires the Spirit of God. We cannot make sense of it on our own. We need God's help. Which brings us to our second point this morning. The Spirit of God. We see this in verses 10 to 12. Verse 10 tells us that the secret, hidden wisdom of God is revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. Now you might be thinking, who is the Holy Spirit? Or what exactly does it mean for Him to reveal things to us? I am so glad you asked. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Just like the Father and Son, the Spirit has existed in perfect relationship and harmony as one of the persons of our triune God for all eternity. We do not have sufficient time this morning to jump into a whole biblical theology on the Spirit or the Trinity, but you can keep an eye out for an upcoming study hall on the Trinity. This morning, what we really want to look at is what this text teaches us about the Spirit. And when we read verses 10 to 11, we see some really, really incredible things. It says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit reveals the secret hidden wisdom and power of the cross of Christ to us. He searches everything, even the depths of God. And he comprehends all the very thoughts of God, helping us to understand his wisdom. Friends, have you ever been frustrated by your lack of understanding of world events? Have you ever felt frustrated because you don't know what the plan is? that you can't see the big picture, that you don't know the answers, or you just don't get how all of this could make sense. I know I could feel that way. I was talking to Joel about these verses the other day, and the picture that came to mind for him was excellent, so I just started running with it. I want to share it with you. It's, it's not perfect. It's a little ridiculous. It is creative, but I believe that it will be helpful. The picture these verses paint for us is like if you were a soldier summoned to the Pentagon. You have no idea why you're there, but you know that you've been summoned by the Secretary of Defense 
who, by the way, exercises command and control of operations and administration of the entire military and is subject only to the orders of the president. So you know it's important. You go to the Pentagon and you're escorted down to the National Military Command Center. This is a big deal. The door cracks open and the Secretary of Defense introduces himself and says, I'm so glad you're here. I have so much to show you. So he opens the door and brings you into the war room. Inside, he begins to show you decades worth of documents laying out all the relevant history. He shows you on the maps all the locations of military bases and secret hideouts of enemy camps and their headquarters. He begins to go over enemy tactics with you and how we can best defend against them. He shows you all the models of latest weapons and tells you how they'll help us to win the fight against our enemy. He shows you tons and tons of secret intelligence. Then he says, come with me. There's one more thing I need to show you. He brings you over to the big table in the center that's got every piece of intelligence and information that could possibly be relevant. And there, standing at that table, is the commander-in-chief himself. Mr. President, he says, here's our newest recruit. He smiles and shakes your hand and says, I'm so glad you're here. SecDef will explain everything to you. You couldn't be in better hands. As the president steps aside, the Secretary of Defense continues to explain everything to you. As he unfolds history and plans and details, you begin to see and understand the big picture. Dots start connecting in your mind as you realize that this was responsible for that, which was necessary for this, which led to that, which means that this will happen like that. And it's all happening according to the president's plan, exactly as he planned. As the Secretary of Defense continues to show you all these secrets, your amazement and wonder of the president and his plan continues to grow and grow. Your mind is blown. As you're trying to soak it all in, you know you'll have questions. You know you won't remember everything. You know you'll mess up some of your orders or forget the order of operations. And yet somehow, by the way he's explaining things to you, by the way he's interacting with you, you know that you could ask him about any of this at any time. You couldn't be in better hands. Church, so it is with the Spirit of God. You couldn't be in better hands than his. These verses show us a beautiful picture of the Spirit of God revealing to us everything we need to know for salvation and everything we need to be prepared for the Christian life. Everything we need to know about the cross of Christ, he opens our eyes to see and believe. Everything we need to know about God, He can reveal and teach us. Everything we need to know about ourselves, He can help us learn and change and grow. Everything we need to know about our enemy, He points it out and equips us. Everything we need to know about living godly lives, He prepares us and fills us with faith. These verses teach us that the Spirit searches and knows everything. He knows everything there is to know about all time and creation. But he also knows all there is to know about God himself. And because we have received the Spirit, he teaches and reveals us everything we need to understand about God. He reveals to us everything we can understand about God. That is incredible. 
As I was thinking about this and reading this passage, I was recalling how the Bible teaches us that there are attributes of God that are unsearchable. His marvelous deeds in Job 5. His greatness, Psalm 145. His understanding, Isaiah 40. His judgments in Romans 11. And his riches in Ephesians 3. Those things are true. We'll never truly be able to search and know the full extent of those and many other attributes of God. However, these verses tell us that the Spirit searches and knows the full extent of the depths of God. And even more incredible, it should fill us with confidence and faith that the Spirit of God reveals those very thoughts and plans and promises of God to us. Check this out. Read verse 12 with me. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. All of this, all of this insight and intelligence and wisdom, it is a gift from God freely given to us. The gift to understand God is a gift from himself to us. That is mind-blowing. The ability to understand God's wisdom and plans and promises is a gift to us, church. How incredible is that? It fills me with a ton of excitement and hope as I consider what it practically means for us to receive the Spirit of God as he reveals to us the wisdom of God. Understanding the wisdom of God requires the Spirit of God, and what that means for our lives today is simply amazing. Which brings us to our third point, the people of God. We see this in verses 13 to 16. These last four verses this morning are awesome. This has major implications for us and for our church, for our families, and for our lives. In verse 13, Paul is restating what he's, that what he's teaching and preaching is not worldly wisdom. He's stating very clearly here that what he's teaching is from the Spirit, which he has received and the Corinthians had received. This means that because all Christians receive the Holy Spirit, we are able to understand the spiritual things that Paul is sharing. This means that because all Christians receive the Holy Spirit, we are able to understand the Word of God revealed to us by the same Spirit. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes you really got to study it. Sometimes you need another Christian to say, hey, you're missing the point. But the implication here is that because you have received the Spirit of God, you can understand and believe and apply spiritual things. We see in verse 14 that while the Spirit helps us to accept and understand these things, the natural person does not. In a summary of sorts for our passage this morning, Paul's reasserting that the wisdom of God is folly or foolishness to the natural or unbelieving person. They are not able to understand it because we need the Spirit to discern spiritual things. This contrast here may seem repetitive, but when we look at the rest of the verses in the chapter, we see that Paul is setting up a significant statement about what it means for us as Christians who have received the Spirit to live in a world that has not. 
We see this in verse 15 where it says that the spiritual person judges all things but are themselves to be judged by no one. What in the world does that mean? Paul seems to be equating or lining up this idea of judging all things with being spiritually discerning. He's saying that because the spiritual person has the spirit and can discern spiritual things, they are also able to judge or discern natural things. You as a Christian have been given the spirit of God, but you still have a natural mind and body. You get the world. You get what it holds out as wisdom and power. But more importantly and uniquely as a spirit-filled follower of Jesus, you see and understand and believe the wisdom and power of God in the cross of Christ. You are able to discern spiritual things. But church, we have to remember that the reverse is not true. That's what Paul's getting at when he says that the spiritual person is to be judged by no one. That's not an exemption from the law or license to act as you please without any consequences. No, it means that as a spiritual person, the world will not understand you and can't judge you. They can't judge you because they are blind to spiritual things. What does this mean for us? How do we apply it to our lives? I believe we have three application points for us today. First is that we're exiles. These verses tell us that the world, to the world, we don't make any sense. You're weird. In biblical terms, we're sojourners. Or surgeoners, as Joel likes to say. <laughs> Christian, you don't belong to this world. It is as simple as that. You and I are in exile in this fallen world while we wait for our king to return and make all things new. My all-time favorite band is called Thrice. They've got a song called In Exile that sings about this idea. The lyrics go like this. I am in exile, a sojourner a citizen of some other place. All I've seen is just a glimmer in a shadowy mirror, but I know one day we'll see face to face. I am a nomad, a wanderer. I've got nowhere to lay my head down. There's no point in putting roots too deep when I'm moving on, not settling for this unsettling town. My heart is filled with songs of forever, a city that endures when all is made new. I know I don't belong here, I'll never call this place my home. I'm just passing through. I am a pilgrim, a voyager. I won't rest until my lips touch the shore of the land that I've been longing for as long as I've lived where there'll be no pain or tears anymore. My heart is filled with songs of forever, a city that endures when all is made new. I know I don't belong here. I'll never call this place my home. I'm just passing through through. Friends, if you truly submit your lives to Jesus and follow him, you are not going to fit into the world. If you do, you might want to ask yourself the question, am I truly living the way that Christ commands me to? If you've received the Spirit of God and you understand and believe the power of the cross, then your life must look more and more like Jesus' life. That's why we stand out to the world. That's why we don't fit in. 
But the beautiful thing that Paul is teaching us here in these verses is that we don't have to worry about it. Who cares what the world thinks about you? Who cares if they think you're strange? Who cares if they call you names or mock you? Who cares if they don't understand you? We are just passing through. The world is not our permanent home. The world may mock or attack or even try to destroy us, but these verses give us courage and faith and hope beyond this place. They remind us that understanding and believing in the wisdom and power of the cross is the only thing that we need to hold on to while we wait and live for Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be winsome or loving or that we shouldn't take every opportunity we're granted to share the hope that's within us. In fact, because you stand out to the world, you will have opportunities to speak to why. Friends, the secret hidden wisdom and power of God for salvation hasn't been revealed to you so that you keep it to yourself. It's been revealed to you so that your words and deeds proclaim to the world around you that the Spirit of God has changed your life through the power and the cross of Christ. And that, that is the most wonderful, beautiful thing the world has ever seen. The world doesn't understand it. It doesn't make sense to them. The clues don't add up. The secret intelligence hasn't been disclosed. But the Spirit of God can reveal the mystery to them. The Spirit of God has revealed the mystery to you. Let your lives shine with the transforming power of the gospel. One more prompt not to keep this all to yourself. Let me point out that our whole passage this morning paints a very clear picture for us that the Spirit of God is a gift from God. We didn't do anything to deserve that gift. Additionally, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. That means that the gift is not ours to hide and keep. We are expected to share our understanding of the mystery of the cross with the world, even though and especially because we are exiles in it. A second application for us out of these verses is humility and unity in the body of Christ. This is something Paul's already spoken to in this letter, and he will continue to speak to it. The Spirit of God helping us to understand the wisdom and power of God has direct implications for us as we live our lives together as the disciples of Jesus. Some people mistakenly understand these verses to be telling us that some Christians receive more of the Holy Spirit when they're saved than others do. Friends, it's simply not true. We all receive the same portion of the Holy Spirit upon our conversion. Now, while that's true, in the first verse of chapter 3, Paul actually says that he wasn't even able to address the Corinthians as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Woof. We all got to buckle up for that one next week. These realities illustrate for us that even though we all receive the same portion of the Spirit of God to understand the wisdom and power of the cross of Christ for salvation, we have responsibility to continue to learn and grow as the Spirit works to teach and reveal things about God and godly living to us. And while that's happening, it would be really easy 
to get a little proud about being able to discern spiritual things while so many people around you can't. It'd be easy to be frustrated with people in your life who don't live like you do or don't value things like you do, who don't have the same understandings and convictions as you. It'd be easy to be impatient and frustrated with new Christians in your life as they learn to read and study the Bible. They begin to understand that there are areas of their life that they must submit to King Jesus. It'd be easy to write off believers who think differently than you do and chalk it up to them as being less mature or less spiritual than you are. And it's definitely easy to think that you're better than others because you understand more of God's word or you understand it better or more accurately. But friends, none of that is what these verses should lead us towards. That is not humility and unity. These verses should actively, emphatically lead us away from that type of thinking. They should actively, emphatically lead us towards humility and unity with one another, towards being gracious and patient with others, towards being understanding and compassionate, towards being gentle and loving, towards being courageous and full of faith. They should lead us towards being humble and striving for unity together. Our third application is boldness. Christian, these verses should fill you with hope and courage and faith to live in exile. They should encourage and challenge you towards humility and unity, but they should also stir us towards boldness in a pretty significant way. You have received the very Spirit of God, which as we see in verse 16 means that we've been given the mind of Christ The question in 16 is still rhetorical. Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? The answer is obviously no one. But we have been given the mind of Christ through the Spirit, and so we can understand the wisdom of God. Fam, this should encourage and challenge and stir you to boldly seek to understand God. Because we have the mind of Christ, we are able to study and learn and understand God himself. I cannot stress how incredible this is. Read your Bibles. Study your Bibles. Read big books, theological books. I know that can be an intimidating thing, but I promise you that you can do it and you can understand them. Why? Because you've been given the mind of Christ through the Spirit of God. I want to take a minute and honor a few people in this area. Brian Richardson, Caleb Birch, and Vaughn Chambers are men in our church that I respect and admire greatly. They've been getting together with Joel and I twice a month early on Saturday mornings for over a year now to read and study and discuss through a massive systematic theology book. I respect these men a ton. Their desire and commitment to humbly yet boldly and confidently work to learn more about God is truly commendable. It is an example to all of us that we can understand the spiritual truths of God because we have the Spirit of God. That's the kind of boldness that we can have because we have the mind of Christ. Church, boldly seek to learn more about God. He will help you. 
He will teach you. He's guaranteed it because He's already given you His Spirit to aid you. Please seriously consider and take steps towards growing in this area with me. It doesn't have to be a massive book, but it could be. If you need or want recommendations, come talk to me or Joel or Jason or Sean. I think maybe the most faith-building word about all of this application is back in verse 7. You can read this with me. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Before creation, before any of us existed, God decreed that his secret, hidden wisdom and power would be revealed to us through his spirit for our glory. Our glory. That's our redemption, our transformation, our benefit, our eternal hope. It's all a gift from God. He has given us his spirit who allows us to understand the wisdom and power of, the, of God in the cross. He allows us to understand the plot line, to put all the clues together, to have the intelligence disclosed to us, to understand the mystery of the cross. Church, we can understand the wisdom of God because we have the spirit of God. All of this is a gift to us to help us live as exiles in humility and unity together as the church with courage and boldness in a world that doesn't get it. I want to close by rereading a portion of our text this morning. We've seen over and over that understanding the wisdom of God requires the Spirit of God. So let these verses ring out over you, filling you with gratitude and peace and comfort. Let them stir your soul with hope and joy let them build your faith in our great God and encourage you to live lives full of courage and boldness as exiles and sojourners passing through this world on our way home to be with King Jesus forever. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God.